Meanwhile, NASCAR announced that it plans to resume its season on May 17th with seven races in 11 days. That's great. What better way to spice up living the same day over and over than watching guys driving in a circle over and over? Yes, yeah, see, okay. All right, that's fine. Uh, seven races in 11 days. Oh, no. Wow, that's crazy. Can the drivers do that? That's that'd be grueling. Yeah, it would. Um, so NASCAR with no crowd, uh, you wouldn't really notice watching. Not be wouldn't be as weird as like watching the NBA with no crowd, which I want so bad. God, I want NBA playoff games with no crowd. I think that'd be fascinating. Why not? Let's try it. Um, Let's not take ourselves too seriously. They're talking about moving the U.S. Open tennis tournament to someplace in Southern California. I don't remember where, uh, but it was more isolated, and they thought they could pull it off and, and away from toilets flushing meadows in New York. <laughs> See what I did? Yes, I did. Um, how about baseball? Do I understand correctly ESPN's going to start showing Korean baseball? That's a sad commentary. Yeah, I believe that is correct. They are uh, they're going to start brad- broadcasting the Korean Baseball League, and uh, Americans are going to get a uh, a full dose of bat flipping, and I think they're going to get become addicted to it. And oh, they're yeah. going to start expecting it from our American players. People wanting sports so bad will be getting sucked into South Korean baseball and wearing Hagado Hoochie jerseys. Go Honam Squid! Exactly! that your favorite team? Oh, I love the squid. Actually, that's not a real team. Hang on a second. Baseball teams. I gotta see. Cause I've always liked the Yokohama whales in, um, in Japan. So they allow some stuff that we don't allow with their baseball? It's not so much they allow, but just bat flipping in particular. If, <laughs> if a hitter takes a pitcher yard, you better guarantee. That means hit a home run. Yeah. Sorry for, for the lay people. Uh, you better guarantee that bat, that batter is going to, uh, flip his bat in some sort of, uh, celebratory manner on his way down the first base. I love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mickey Mantle wouldn't have approved. Jack, you got your Doosan Bears, your uh, your uh, Latte Giants, your Kiwoom Heroes, your LG Twins, your Samsung Lions, your Kia Tigers. They apparently have the uh, like Samsung sponsors. Lions. Yeah, they're they're named for their their sponsors. Your Hanwha Eagles. You know, you got your Wyverns. What's a Wyvern? Uh, oh, the unicorns, the Hyundai Unicorn. There you go. That's my team. I'm gonna get a, a unicorn jersey. Their uh, their logo is terrible. But do they play in the middle of the night? Probably. The wyvern is a sort of dragon, Joe. <laughs> Thank you for so that. Pro- but it's probably no. live in the middle of the night, right? In the U.S. Yeah, yeah, sure. They watch it on tape. Just don't pick up the Soul Times, and you won't know who won. <laughs> <laughs> God dang it! I was at the coffee. They're getting coffee this morning, and a guy from work told me that the 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 unicorns beat the squid five the to di- four. And the I dinos swept the wyverns. I had it on DVR. The dinos. I've been into time zones lately because my youngest son, who has a medical procedure today, so I'll be leaving in a little bit. But uh, he uh, started a, a pen pal. It's actually an email pal, but I guess you call them pen pals. Oh, cool. Yeah, he, he came up with this idea, actually. He, he comes up with these. Well, here, here's a for instance. He comes up with ideas all the time. Um, I decided I needed to put sunblock on my nose every single day. I got to do it every day because my nose is bright red like a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And, and I think that uh, uh, keeping it out of the sun would help. So I got to put on sunblock every single day. And Can't I, hurt. And right. I said, how am I going to remember that? And he said, you weigh yourself every day and you write down your weight. Why don't you just put a little sticky note over where you write down your weight? And then you'll see it every morning. <laughs> 
but a good laugh. That is a very good idea. Um, but I'm supposed to come up with those ideas, not you. So that's embarrassing. <laughs> you go to your room. Go to your room. <laughs> um, but so he wanted, uh, because of his medical condition with his pans and a variety of other things, he wanted... He has trouble being friends. Any attempt he's had to to make friends with normal kids who don't understand his variety of things, don't understand his OCD, don't understand his temper, don't understand why he gets mad about these things, don't understand why he has to cancel at the last minute sometimes. So he wanted to, he wanted to make a friend that's got the same situation as him that would understand him, which I thought was pretty perspe- perceptive of him. Um, yeah. But anyway, so we did some researching and came up with some kids, uh, and there aren't that many available, that have the same medical condition as him, and he started a pen pal thing with a kid in South Africa. Wow. That's got uh, the, the same condition and is his age. And so they've been emailing back and forth a little bit, and then we're going to hope to set up like some sort of Zoom or FaceTime thing. That's wow, amazing. That, that could be yeah. really uh, valuable. Oh, God, yeah. It's huge. And he's so excited about telling this kid about his, his new puppy and... This and that, um, and hopefully it will uh, progress to where they're talking about their medical situations just a little bit so they can vent to each other with a relatable. He's got another kid he's going to start emailing today from London. But the kid in South Africa lives, uh, uh, obviously, incredibly wealthy family, it would seem. They have two homes. One of them's on the ocean, and he, he, he surfs in the morning as a nine-year-old and sees dolphins and that sort of stuff, and then he goes wow. back to his regular home at the game preserve where they have oh, tigers geez. and lions and zebras and Gemini. all these different sorts of things. Yeah, it's really quite the lifestyle. Wow. That's uh, that's uh, tough to match. Yeah. Surfing with dolphins, then off to the game preserve. Yeah, exactly. Dang. I mean, I had an ice cream has goats. I had an ice cream cone today. <laughs> um I got a stuffed lion. Anyway, I'm hoping that that's, that's going to work out. Uh, yesterday, we did a no video games day because it's just been growing. Oh, Dad. It's been growing in intensity of how much they need it and talk about it. And what, I mean, just the never-ending conversation <clears throat> about Minecraft, it never stops. They never stop talking about it. So they've noticed that mom and dad don't want to hear about it. So now they uh, want them to say, uh, Sam, I need to talk to you alone. So they'll go into some other room and they just talk about Minecraft for the, oh, until I go interrupt them and make them come out of their room. They'll just talk stop about it. Minecraft. Wow. But yesterday we decided to have a no video games day and it was just torturous all day long for both of them, particularly for Henry, which partially because of his, his health situation and OCD, it's the only thing that gives him escape. Um, that can take his mind off of it. But anyway, so he didn't play it all day long. And then at night, he's he's hooking up the Alexa when it was time for bed. What are you doing? I'm setting an alarm for midnight. The day officially ends at midnight. At midnight, I'm waking up, and I'm going to play Minecraft. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> wow. Which we didn't allow, but so I'm, I'm assuming he's on a Minecraft binge right now. Since he got up, his eyes spun back in his head. Well... It'll help him get through the oh, day. Oh, yeah. There are worse things to be addicted to, no doubt about it. Uh, oh, yeah. If, yeah. I, if I can keep him on Minecraft and away from pot and booze, you know, longer, that's it's fine with me. Um, How much pot you got laying around the house? Oh, bales. <laughs> I grow it. We have, we got 20 acres. 20 acres of pot. That's great. And bales and bales of pot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if is uh, the drinking rate still up? I haven't seen that lately. That was like super hot in the media there for a while, like a month ago. Are people still uh, smoking them down and drinking them and, and the rest of it? I don't know. I don't know. What? Tell me. Uh, give me some anecdotal evidence. Mine's up. <laughs> there you go. More anecdotal mm. evidence from Joe. Uh, down from the peak. 
but still <laughs> above normal? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Who's asking? Uh, what's normal? <laughs> what are you, a cop? Yeah. <laughs> I, um, uh, burr. Uh, it's probably, it's still a little above normal, I think. And the reasoning would be what? Stress? Time? Stress and boredom, I guess. I don't know. It's, I don't, I've been keeping busy better than, uh, than I had for a while. So no, I think it's down from the peak. I think people are finding other better ways to cope slash better uh, pass the time. <laughs> yeah, what's better? Define better. But did you, but did you, come on now. Your liver's got a say in this. Be good to your liver, people. But the, you know, folks are finding other coping mechanisms because they can't go out. They can't go to the movies. They're not hanging out with all their buddies all the time. Although uh, gatherings of all sorts are increasing as people's patience with what they see as arbitrary and unnecessary restrictions are, uh, well, their patience is, their impatience is growing, rather. How about so, eating? Is eating, uh, you past the peak for eating? Uh, I am, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I've, well, you know, the scale is a cruel bastard. And it, <laughs> it has delivered an unequivocal message to me, which I have heard and acknowledged. The scale is a cruel bastard. Well, it, it has no sympathy. No, it doesn't. It, do- it, it doesn't care about your feelings or your, your belief that you did pretty good this weekend. Right. It doesn't. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's you like didn't our new... do pretty good. Here's the number. It's Moving like our new, our new favorite joke about the job interview. What's your greatest fault? I'm too honest. I don't think that's a fault. I don't give it S what you think. <laughs> well, the scale is that guy. You know, it doesn't give an S what you think. Oh, you think you did pretty good this weekend? Take a look at this number. Kapow! Yeah. <laughs> How do you like that? Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. So, yeah, that uh, thing breaking in the New York Times today while we've been on the air that the White House believes we're going to be going up in deaths until June 1st, hitting a peak of 3,000. Ah, wait a minute. Which I, guess, which I guess is why Trump over the weekend came out and said they've revised their estimate to total deaths of 100,000. He must have gotten that word. So, Yeah, I don't know. The, the rise in the daily... Uh, I'm looking at uh, CNN had a headline. Oh, no, that's just, <laughs> oh, for God's sake, CNN, you're just unforgivable. Just report the news, you numbskulls. So I've washed my hands and worn a mask and I get stung in the eye by a murder hornet. Yeah, great. And there's just no winning. No. What do I do to you, God? These are troubled times. Just please nobody say out loud this is as bad as it can get. You worship one false idol and this is what befalls you. <laughs> What's next? Seems like an overreaction. What did you say in your uh, in your 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 tweet? Flying uh, rattlesnakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Flocks of flying rattlesnakes <laughs> descend on the heartland. More on the way. Armstrong and Getty. Why leave it up to the governors? Why not set a firm, if not binding, a firm national policy on when states can reopen? 
Well, I think federal guidelines are a pretty firm policy of what we think is important from a public health standpoint. We also made it possible for states to open counties independently of the entire state because, again, some of these outbreaks are very local and have to be studied and understood that way. You know, uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Burks, or as Jack would call her, Scarf Lady, for that thoroughly sane statement. There, I understand that journalists, Chris Wallace included, will ask a question because, not because they, you know, uh, uh, let me put it to you like this. His question seemed to suggest that clearly you want a blanket national policy. I understand sometimes you ask a question just to get the answer, but it sure sounds like he's advocating that position. And what sometimes I wonder with Chris Wallace, is he actually nuts? Or does he just not understand if you ask certain questions in a certain tone of voice, you're making the unspoken statement that you think this is a good idea and you can't believe Dr. Burks doesn't. And I think he needs to be careful with that. Because sometimes his questions, they're so thick with tone, they seem like he's editorializing. Uh, let's hear uh, clip 31 also, Dr. Burks. California, where this past week thousands of people were massing on beaches in very close quarters. Simple question, is that safe? If it's done with social distancing, yes. If it's not done with social distancing, no. Okay, fine. Great. Super. Uh, everybody has said, yeah, we'll do the right thing. I'll be next to my honey, but we'll be six uh, feet away from the other people. All right. Great. What is... Anybody with any sanity agrees on this stuff. And it's just the the power mad or paranoid governors who I think are disagreeing. Hey, I uh, just got a word from executive producer Mike Hansen that Scott Atlas, Dr. Scott Atlas of the... Uh, Hoover Institution is available in just a few minutes. So, yeah, that's a big yes. Let's talk to the good doctor. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of, of doctors and that sort of thing, also uh, the, the French think that smoking protects you from the COVID. What? We, that, that, we, the French would say that. Well, yeah, they're a smoking <laughs> people, aren't they? But you know what? I've got to make a – I'll tell you this. I'll give you a very brief version. Um, the belief among doctors and, 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 uh, and just the people at large in France has grown to the point, uh, that, that the, everybody's sticking nicotine patches on their arm. And the practice has become so widespread, it's created a run on supplies, and the government has limited people's to one month's supply of patches, uh, and require that they be purchased at pharmacies rather than online. A couple of researchers have just seen that smokers were really underrepresented in cases. Hmm. Uh, data from France. With a sample of 343 COVID-19 patients at a Parisian hospital, 5.3% were daily smokers. The nation's smoking rate is 25%. 25% smokers, but only 5% of the cases. Uh, at a high school in northern France, researchers tested 661 staff and students for presidents of the blah, 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 uh, an indication of prior exposure to the virus. Among those found positive, 7.2% were smokers, over 70% below the rate of non-smokers in the sample who tested positive, which was 28%. Um, pattern is similar in the United States. Now, of course, doctors, thinking you're a stupid, stupid idiot, uh, tell you, please don't start smoking. And they're not certain it's nicotine, but they think it may be. 
Now, again, don't take this to the bank. There are a lot of things that seemed true initially that are now not true, which is why you do double-blind studies and the rest of it. That's how science works. But I, I got to tell you, it caught my eye. Um, and, a, and a guy is tempted to pick up a nicotine patch or two. All right, we're moving quickly here. Also, you ought to know, since they can't have people in uh, the Supreme Court uh, gallery and our, our nation's court system must be open to the scrutiny of the people, et cetera, et cetera, they thought, all right, well, let's go ahead and broadcast live audio. And I think this is the first time live audio has been done, although I could be wrong on that. They might have done it in Bush v. Gore. But um, anyway, let's dip in. They're arguing yeah, some obscure case about trademarks. That is because... The Lanham Act didn't overturn pre-existing common law, and that, again, speaks to why we think Goodyear remains good law. But I think what courts should do in this instance is um, look to other sources to figure out what, again, a generic term, whether something is a generic term, which usually means whether it is going to indicate the type of good or service. So dictionary okay, definitions Okay, so they are couldn't have, like, a case about hard. Joe Exotic or the, the, the murder hornet or <laughs> a sex clubs. Murder hornet case. Turn around this quickly would be quite impressive. Well, right, but something with obscure copyright laws having to do with website names? Oh, come on. Give me something fun. I don't know. I would like them to keep doing this, even though we'd have access to these in the past. Something about having it live I like. Yeah, surely the next one will be more interesting. Uh, Dr. Scott Atlas coming up in a moment or two. He thinks it is high time to open things up. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. California, where this past week thousands of people were massing on beaches in very close quarters. Simple question, is that safe? If it's done with social distancing, yes. If it's not done with social distancing, no. A little earlier on the Armstrong and Getty Show, we quoted a piece on thehill.com by Dr. Scott Atlas of the Hoover Institution, that the data is in, stop the panic, and the total isolation. And uh, indeed, Dr. Atlas joins us now. He's the David and Joan Tritel Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, Stanford University, and a member of Hoover's in- the Hoover Institution's Working Group on Healthcare Policy. Dr. Atlas, how are you, sir? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Good. It's my pleasure. It's been too long. Uh, so first of all, uh, speaking of uh, eminent publications, we'll get to your piece in the Hill in a second, but the New York Times is out with a story just this morning uh, alleging that the White House has new projections and indeed the death rate from the COVID-19 is set to rise steeply. And that, What do you make of that? Have you had a chance to see that? Well, I haven't had the chance to see it, and I try not to have to defend what someone else has written. Sure. But I can say that we, we, we know there will be more people to die because if you look at the numbers of people in serious condition, uh, we, we know there are thousands and thousands of them will die. There's no question. But you have to remember that the death from this does not occur until three to four weeks after the transmission of infection. So because someone dies this week, or five days from now, that is not a reflection of a new infection. That's a reflection of an infection three or four weeks ago. Right, and and another problem I have with the article and some of the things other people have said lately is they're talking about the rise in cases, and the rise, the number of cases is utterly unknowable because we've had such an enormous rise in testing. 
That's exactly right. In fact, we can say it another way, which is that we know the number of cases is going up the more we test. By definition. Right, exactly. So based on everything you've seen, uh, where are we uh, on, on the curve on suppressing this thing, on moving toward normalcy, and where should we be? Well, we know uh, several things since this began. We have the evidence. Number one, we know who to protect. We know that the vulnerable people are older people, typically. These are the people with underlying diseases that get hospitalized and have a much higher risk of dying. We know that uh, people uh, are also being hospitalized in that group. Younger people, healthier people have a very little, if any, risk of a serious illness requiring hospitalization. We know the curves have flattened. We're not in the beginning anymore. We understand the whole goal of the policy originally was to see the curves flatten. Now, we're talking about two curves, hospitalizations per day and deaths per day. We're not talking about cases because cases, as we know, are going to be revealed by more testing. That's not really a relevant statistic. In fact, we know half the people who get the infection are entirely asymptomatic, and the overwhelming majority are are mild disease cases. So the protection of the vulnerable is the targeted appropriate policy. And we know two other very important things. One is based on the isolation policy. And that is there has been a complete stoppage of medical care for people without COVID-19 pandemic uh, impacts. And so we have stopped essential, critical Healthcare people are dying because they're not getting their chemotherapy, they're not getting their organ transplants, they're not getting their brain surgery, and what's worse, they're not bringing their children in for immunizations. People are not getting cancer screening. Biopsies of tumors that are potentially cancer are not getting done. This is a massive, catastrophic healthcare crisis being created by the policy itself. And then the other thing that we know is that based on decades of medical knowledge about immunology, virology, and infectious disease, viruses are, when they are low, uh, low impact, they get infect, they infect a lot of people, people develop antibodies, that is immunity, and that immunity in the population is the way that the whole population breaks the chain of contagiousness. including protecting vulnerable people. That is the exact reason why we give widespread immunizations, for instance, to set up population immunity. That is the reason why scientists are excited about transfusing antibodies from people who've had the infection to people who might get or are in, in trouble with the infection because those antibodies are presumed to be protective. Do we know that antibodies in this are protective yet? No, we don't know, but it would be unexpected that they're not. And we have evidence, actually, work in progress evidence that that, that they probably are. And so, by the way, we have decades of knowledge, not just about viruses, but about coronaviruses. And this is the same family. Now, this is not, this is its own virus, but in the coronavirus family, we know from decades of experience that there is protection for roughly one to two years. It's, it's expected that antibodies are protective. That's the whole point of even developing an, an immunization for this disease itself. Right. Am I, am I correct that the, the current best uh, opinion of science is that the repeat infections that we've heard about, people who've gotten over the thing and reinfected, were probably false positive tests? 
Well, I mean, because I mean, if this thing can't know, be defeated by our own immune systems, even if after we've had it and gotten over it, I mean, that's truly terrifying. Well, we shouldn't be terrified about anything, first of all, because public policy should never be impacted by fear. It must be based on the science, the data, medical knowledge, and then simply logic. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's point number one. Point number two, there's sort of a frenzy about this uh, this idea that we need a vaccine to reopen. I mean, you have to realize there's no magic wand out there for a vaccine because most many vaccines are not 100% protective. I'll give you an example, the flu vaccine. With the flu vaccine, if you look it up on the CDC website itself, it's only 40 to 60% effective. That's point number one about the flu vaccine and a vaccine. Point number two, even with the flu vaccine, in the world, every single flu season, 300 to 650,000 people die from the flu with the flu vaccine being given. Okay, so we have to be very careful about somehow there's some magical vaccine out there. Not to mention, it's going to take many, many months to get a vaccine. This is not happening tomorrow and implement the, you know, giving the vaccine out. So, I mean, there's all kinds of things that are being done that are based upon sort of a lack of logic and illogical and almost, you know, almost irrational uh, sort of methodology here. The idea that we must treat and stop every single infection from COVID-19 at all costs is simply just not rational or logical. That was never the goal of the policy. We have done that what we wanted to do, which is flattening the curve. We must end this total isolation. It's, it's harmful. It's, it's destructive. Well, and I think a lot of what's driving policy at this point, though the governors and the president's people painstakingly repeat over and over again that this is data-driven and science-driven, what's missing, as we were discussing earlier, is that you have economic damage, and the economy is inseparable from health outcomes in half a dozen different ways. And, as you pointed out, it's brought medical care to a standstill that will directly lead to the loss of life. And it's just so frustrating that we're hearing only one side of the argument being represented, and that is we must prevent as many cases as possible. And they're willfully or just ignoring the huge other aspects of the thing. It's frustrating to listen to. Well, I mean, I think those are good points, uh, and we're not really here to criticize what was done. We're only talking about what to do now. Here, here, and here. what we know now, is, it, right, and what we know now really is who to protect. There is no science that says that people must be confined in their homes. There is no science to say that we must close all outdoor activities, parks, and recreation and keep you inside your home. The science does not say, does not say to keep K through 12 schools closed. These are children with virtually no risk of serious disease or, or you know, hospitalization. And there is some suggestion, although I, I don't know, the data is not out yet on this, that there's actually a low level of contagiousness, but I'm not sure about that yet. But we have to follow the science. I'm saying follow the science and using medical knowledge to proceed. We, there is no science to support continuing total isolation. Dr. Scott Atlas is a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution of Stanford University. His most recent book is Restoring Quality Healthcare, a six-point plan for comprehensive reform at lower cost. Uh, Scott, Dr. Atlas, we appreciate your time very much. Really interesting. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's, it's our pleasure. 
Yeah. You know, the one-sidedness of this makes me nuts. Nobody ever says to Governor X, Y, or Z, you're talking about presenting or preventing, rather, cases. At what cost? At what cost are we doing this? I mean, even if it were effective, and Dr. Atlas obviously had some serious questions about the effectiveness or necessity of some of the things that we're doing, uh, even it, if it were effective, given the fact that there are absolutely, indisputably enormous costs to the policy, we need to see both sides of the ledger. And I've been making the argument for quite some time about the economy being in a, you know, um, being linked to health outcomes. And that's absolutely true. But as the good doctor pointed out, it, no, it's, it's even more direct than that. People aren't getting chemotherapy. They're going to die. So uh, are you trading two COVID lives for one chemotherapy life? How about two COVID lives for two? Or maybe it's two COVID lives for three, four, five chemotherapy lives is anybody doing that math or are they just listening to the muling of the media and 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 you know who've become obsessed with this thing because it's such a clickbait and such a good headline grabber and and you know the the policies are a response to the you know the emotional outbursts of the media mostly and not uh, based on any rational uh, weighing of costs and benefits all right uh, so we're going to finish strong in a moment or two. Have the absolutely terrific mayor of Newport Beach, California, taking on the governor, Gavin Newsom, and uh, what he says is just great. You're going to want to hear it. It's next. Armstrong and Getty. The idea that we must treat and stop every single infection from COVID-19 at all costs is simply just not rational or logical. That was never the goal of the policy. We have done what we wanted to do, which is flattening the curve. We must end this total isolation. It's it's harmful. It's, It's destructive. Dr. Scott Atlas from the Hoover Institution there, it's harmful, destructive, illogical, irrational, as he says, and it is murderous. Many people will die from the policy. Now, you want to say, well, many people will die if we don't do the policy. Yes, but let's weigh those things. Let's uh, let's take on uh, all the aspects of this in a rational way. Uh, good stuff from the mayor of Newport Beach, Will O'Neill. He, he tweeted last week, and I quote, without speaking to a single local official in Newport Beach, which is in Orange County, Governor Newsom has put politics over data and substituted his will for our judgment from 428 miles away in Sacramento. Uh, he also went on Tucker Carlson's show, I believe this was on Friday, and, and he was talking about uh, the, the, the problem with blanket policies. Clip 40, please. Governor Gavin Newsom closed 43 miles of Orange County beaches, not because of data, but because of politics. And how do I know that? Because here's the data. Orange County has 3.2 million people who live here. 
It's bigger than 22 states, bigger than states like Nevada, Mississippi, Iowa. And of all of those people, we've lost 50 people to this virus. That's 0.001% of our population. In our local hospital, we have 475 beds. They have never treated more than 25 people at any given time. And yesterday, they had nine people that they were treating, and only 1% of their ventilators were being used. And this beach closure idea to keep people safe, it's been tried in Los Angeles County. They have closed their beaches up there for over 30 days now, and the, and the results just haven't borne out. Every single city that is along the coast in Los Angeles has a higher per capita COVID rate than every open beach community in Orange County. Boy, that's some good stuff there. And Dr. Burks herself, the scarf lady, saying, yeah, beaches are safe as long as you do the social distancing thing. So what, what, on what basis is the governor issuing these edicts? Again, it's not data, it's politics. Let's uh, wrap up uh, Mayor O'Neill with clip 41, then we'll move on. And let's talk about San Diego for just a second. They've got over two times the number of people who have died because of this virus than Orange County, but their beaches are open. This has nothing to do with data, and it has everything to do with politics. And I agree. I think what our governor did was he looked at photographs that were showing a mile of beach condensed into about a meter. It looked like everyone was on top of each other. But he should have called me. I'm the mayor of Newport Beach, and he should have asked me what we are seeing on the ground. And I would have told him. Our police chief, our fire chief, our lifeguards, even our local sheriffs all said universally, the vast majority of people, they were families on the beach. They were social distancing. But, of course, there were people who weren't. So they got to spend some time talking to our law enforcement about making sure they understood the, what, what social distancing really means. I went off on a rant uh, last week. It might have been Thursday or Friday. I can't remember. It's kind of the headline at armstrongandgetty.com. Uh, talking about how these arbitrary and idiotic uh, mandates will absolutely diminish people's respect for the law. The governor of California, which is where I happen to live, he'll uh, he'll lose control because people will realize, all right, you're just a crackpot. You're going off half cocked. You're ignoring the science. You're you know San Diego's okay, etc. Um, and uh, oh, what was I going to say? The music just completely distracted me. You got mind erased. You got hit with the unintentional transition music. It, it, it wiped you clean. Yeah. Oh, now I remember. So there was a protest at the state capitol on Friday, and a few thousand people came out, and a listener of ours who ended up getting shoved by a surge of people, and all of a sudden he's on another side of the police line, and they arrest him, and he doesn't know what the hell's going on. So uh, hundreds of people got arrested and fined for violating the social distancing stuff. Then when it was all over, somebody took a picture of dozens and dozens of cops all standing in tight clusters, no masks, afterward talking about it, violating all the social distancing stuff. And listen, I understand the cops are only doing what the city fathers and the state officials told them they had to do. They don't decide this stuff independently. But if, if you people are trying as hard as you can to diminish respect for the law, you're doing a terrific job at it. Final thoughts. Armstrong and Getty announced the boarding of the Final Thoughts Express. We must move swiftly. There he is pressing the buttons in the control room. Final thought, Michael? Yeah, how to escape murder hornets. If you're indoors, you duck under a table and you hold on to the table legs. And if you're outdoors, you lay in a ditch or valley and you play dead. Wait for them to fly over and then you get up slowly. <laughs> that may be great advice or totally made up. 
And I don't care. Positive Sean is our producer. He has a final thought for us. Yes, final thought. Also, Murder Hornet related. Hey, Murder Hornets. Relax. It's 2020. We got a lot going on right now. Can you come back next year, please? Yeah, no kidding. I'm sorry. We just don't have an opening for a terrifying Asian insect this year. Can you call back? Uh, Jack is off helping uh, Henry with his medical procedure. Uh, my final thought is I've never had anything against watermelons. In fact, I find it to be a delicious gourd or whatever it is. But <laughs> when you pack them full of tannerite and shoot them with a rifle and they explode and watermelon fragments rain down for the next 30 seconds, that's good times. Some good American shooting over the weekend. Enjoy the heck out of it. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people thank. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. All your ANG-related needs are there. We will see you tomorrow. God bless America. You having a good time? Okay, I, I did not say what that. You- I've sat here for over three hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> that sucks. If you wish to leave, you may. Let me just say how very, very dismaying and disappointing. Not uh, good. And just... Change the channel from this mesmerizing horror show. We'll be better tomorrow than we were today. And we heard the words. It's over for me. Adios, mofo. Okay, so we're, you're, we're dismissed. Is that correct? Do you want to rephrase uh, what you're doing? They're very, very sharp. I mean, that's what they use to decapitate bees, and then they'll mash up the thorax into a into a meatball. They call it, and fly it back to feed to their larvae. Armstrong and Getty.